A very warm welcome again to those of you joining us on Boxing Day, whether here in the physical world or via the broadcast. And uh, uh, trust that you've had a, a very good Christmas Day, that uh, all your preparations did go well. And uh, we're very glad that you can join us this morning. As I, I said, um, our pastor, uh, Duncan, will be preaching this morning, and uh, he will be hearing from him later in the service. And uh, that... Uh, uh, he'll be preaching from Galatians, um, Galatians chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, please do turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, um, and uh, let's read together. But please, if you don't have a Bible, please just listen along. Um, if you do, then please do turn to Galatians chapter 4. We're reading the first seven verses together. I'm reading from the New International Version. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time set, or sorry, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Amen. Well, good morning, and uh, let me add to Nigel's welcome. Lovely to see you. Merry, uh, very happy Christmas to you. Trust that you've had a good weekend. I want to start by simply asking you a question. What is the best thing about being a grown-up? What do you think is the best thing about being a grown-up? Uh, feel free to answer that question whether you're a grown-up or not. What's the best thing about being a grown-up? What did you most look forward to when you were a child? And for those of you who still qualify, and the, the age is very vague these days when someone becomes a grown-up, isn't it? It's somewhere around about 30, I think, at the moment. Um, and the answer's not always the same. But I think all the answers revolve around one main theme. Being free from the rule of others. That's the thing we most look forward to. For some, they really, really look forward to making their own decisions. And in fact, it doesn't matter if those decisions are good ones or bad ones as long as they're my ones. Isn't that right? Others look forward to making and having their own money. And I think these sorts of desires, this desire to be a grown-up, and by the way, once you get there, it's not as much fun as you thought it would be, is it? All those desires to be a grown-up are good. Like, we want our children to become adults. I mean, it's only for a short while you say, oh, I wish they could just stay this age forever. I mean, you just give it an hour sometimes, and you think, oh, I wish they would get out of this stage pretty quick. We want them to grow up. We want them to mature. We want them to fulfill all of their potential. We want them to be mature adults. 
That's why they've been given parents, to prepare them for adult life. It would be bad parenting to try and keep our children behaving like children all of their lives, long after they're adults. I mean, for sure, some do that. But we want to prepare them to be responsible, mature grown-ups. And this part of the Bible that Nigel read for us is all about that, but in a spiritual sense. The, it's, this, this part of the Bible is a letter which was written to churches where Christians were not behaving in a mature way. They were forgetting that when someone becomes a Christian, spiritually speaking, they move from, from childishness to being grown up. They find that their life up to that point was lived under the rules and authority of others, but when they trusted in Jesus, they become truly free. They come into all the privileges of being a grown-up. The story of the Bible is the story of God making promises and keeping them. That's the story of the Bible from beginning to end, the story of God making promises and keeping them. And one of the most important promises you'll find in the Bible comes in the very first book of the Bible. God made a promise to a man called Abraham. Up to then, you read of God creating everything good and human beings messing it up by not trusting in God and that mess getting messier and messier and messier with every new generation of humans. And then God speaks to Abraham and says to Abraham, on you go. I am going to lead you to a new land, and through your descendants, I'm going to bless the whole earth. I'm going to turn the mess around through your family. And the promise was given to Abraham when he and his wife were elderly and had no children. Really just to underline the fact that if this mess in this world is going to be turned around, it's going to need to be God who intervenes to do it. And sure enough, Abraham and his wife had a son who had sons, who had sons, who had sons. And this, these descendants grew into a great nation. And then God gave those people something that was to show them what kind of people they should be. He gave them the law. Now, we know some, of, some parts of the law, I'm sure. Maybe if we were to say the Ten Commandments, um, uh, you know, you, 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 you must worship no other God. You most definitely should honor your mother and father. Uh, do not steal, do not kill, don't lie the Ten Commandments, but there, was, there were a raft of other laws that came along with that. And this law, taking it all together, revealed something. It revealed what God is like, and it still does reveal what God is like. What He says is right and wrong. What He says is good behavior, but it also revealed something else. It revealed that we are not like God because we cannot keep His law. Even those who do seem to obey the law, they only do it on the outside. You look into their hearts, and their desire is to break the law at every 
turn. And so the law that God gave was a lesson, a reminder that people always need to go back to God and look to Him to keep His promise that He made. Because we can never be good enough for God. Now, all of that, I've given you all of that story because this is what Paul tells these Christians in these churches before he gets to Galatians chapter 4. He says, God made a promise to Abraham. Then God gave the law to Moses, but the law made the promise all the more important because we found that we couldn't keep the law. We need God to keep His promise. Only when we trust the promise of God are we truly free. And I wanted to take a few minutes to look at how he explains that in these verses. First of all, Paul tells Christians, we were slaves. He tells us to imagine a boy whose dad is the owner of a great estate. I suppose you could even imagine uh, a prince whose dad is the king. Now, the boy is the heir. That is, he stands to inherit the whole kingdom one day. And because of who the, the boy is, he is, of course, already very wealthy. He's very important. But so long as he's still a child, until he's a grown-up, he has teachers who instruct him. He has people who manage his wealth and have more of a say about what happens to the things he owns than he does. In fact, there are servants who are in his household that tell him what to do, and he's the prince. If you were to look on and say, who's the more important person? It would be hard to work out. The prince is the most important person, but while he's a child, there are people that tell him what to do. In fact, he's no different to a servant in his own house, even though he owns everything. He just does as he's told. But then Paul, who writes this letter, he says, there's a day coming when that will change. Puts it in verse 2, he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. On that date, the boy becomes a man. He no longer needs teachers and managers. He has come of age. Those teachers were there to prepare the child to become a grown-up, to equip him to fulfill all of his potential. And Paul gives us that picture because he says in verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. This is the history of the world. There was a time when we were like children, full of potential and promise and status and God gave all of humanity his law to be our teacher. It was given to prepare human beings, to get them ready for the time that was coming when God would fulfill his promise. That law was given to make us trust God more. But as we tend to do, human beings learned the wrong lesson. 
and instead used the law to trust God less and trust themselves more. To look at God's law and said, hey, I can do that. I can make myself good enough for God. To think that we can use God's law to earn acceptance with him. If when we think like that, then God's law only condemns us. We are enslaved by these elementary, these basic things. Some people think that's what it means to be a Christian. That it's all about keeping rules. And if you keep them well enough, God will be pleased with you. I want to say today, if you think like that, then you're enslaved because there is no rule book that you could ever stick closely enough that would ever be able to restore you to God. And this is exactly what was happening in this church that Paul wrote this letter to. Instead of trusting in God, they were now trusting themselves, trusting that they could keep the rules, that if they avoided eating certain types of food, if they observed certain religious rituals, if they observed certain religious holidays, that if they did these things, they might impress God. That these good things would seal the deal for them with God. And how often that is still the case in churches. Yes, even a church like this one. People make their annual pilgrimage to church at Christmas or even at Easter. And they think that will keep God happy. That generous donation to the, to the church or to charity, God will see how good a Christian I am. If I live a good Christian life, God must be so happy that I'm not like those other people. Dear friends, this is not what it means to be a Christian. It is not you have entirely got the wrong end of the stick. And if you think that is what it means to be a Christian, then there is a pretty good chance that you are not a Christian at all. That was what Paul was concerned about for these professing Christians in the churches in Galatia. To be a Christian is not about following rules. That's slavery. That's what God has acted to free us from. No, the message to us is that the fullness of time has come when children can become grown-ups. Paul says here, we were slaves, but when the time came, well, now we are sons. Now we are sons. When the fullness of time had come, the time to release humanity from the burden of the law God came and fulfilled his promise. Never forget that the only way that any of us gets to God is if God acts. And that's Paul's understanding here, isn't it? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God acted. This is what brought this fullness of time. This is what, what, what represents the fullness of time coming. God acts and sends his son. This is the miracle that we've been celebrating in recent days and weeks. The son of God came down to earth from heaven. He who is God and Lord of all. The real amazing thing here is Paul says, 
God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Born of woman. He is the promised seed of the woman from Genesis 3. He truly was Mary's son. Truly human in every way. And because he was truly human in every way, he was therefore born under the law. This is amazing stuff. The God who gave the law to his people becomes the baby, the man, born under the law, subject to the law as a man himself. And as we heard there, Jesus kept God's law perfectly, not just in outward things, but with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. I said that the law had other things besides just the Ten Commandments. It has things about the sacrifices that needed to be made for sin. Well, Jesus Christ came, the spotless Lamb, who would be the sacrifice for sins, who came to, as Paul puts it there in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. And he does so by fulfilling the law, living the law fully in our place, and dying as a sacrifice for our sins. And in doing so, brings us adoption as sons of God. This is the story of how God restores human beings back to himself. For all of the mess that we have made in our own lives and in this world, here God acts to bring us back to himself. And it's all wrapped up in this one person, sent forth from heaven, born of a woman, born under the law, who redeems us That is, he pays a ransom for us to release us from slavery at the cost of his own death on a cross. Now, how far away is this from the idea that if you do a few good things, if you do some good religious acts, then you'll be right with God? This is a million miles from that. You needed to be redeemed from that way of thinking. I did. You do. Because each one of us were slaves to our sin. And Jesus Christ has come to rescue. In fact, if he doesn't rescue me, then I will be forever enslaved. And it won't matter how decent a person I might think I am. Jesus Christ himself says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He understands it's all wrapped up in him and him alone. So a Christian is not someone who keeps a set of rules. A Christian is someone who loves Jesus Christ. Um, I remember reading, um, just in the last month or two, I guess this must have been, um, something about the entertainer Lionel Blair, who for almost everyone here, that's uh, an aged reference, isn't it? He died recently. And I read that his father had died when when Blair was only 13. And he described the effect that that moment had on him. He said, I had to grow up fast. He said his father's death was what matured him 
And in his family, it was as if it was the day he, had, he became a man. You have hopefully had it drummed into you in recent days that God sent forth his son, born of woman. That was the day when the door was opened to free human beings from slavery to laws that they could not keep and into full maturity, to live their full potential. When you come to Jesus Christ, it's the day when you when you can become a man. Because he has died to free you from childish things, to free you from being enslaved to trying to earn something from God and to adopt us as sons of God. And this is the amazing status that Jesus has come to deliver to those who come to him in simple faith, adopted as sons. And in those last two verses, verses six and seven, Paul gives some more specifics on what that means to be an adopted son of God. It is to have, in verse 6, the spirit of Jesus in our hearts. That is God dwelling within us. And it's only because he's in us that we are able to cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is the Hebrew word that a child would use towards his father. It's amazing. The full life, the truly mature life, life as it was made to be, is the life that cries out to God as a child to its father. It's interesting how those images are mixed up here, isn't it? Free from the law and all of the immaturity of being stuck under the law and the mark of being mature, of being a spiritual grown-up, is that you're a child of God, dependent on God through Jesus Christ. And this is no mere, no mere illustration. That language of being sons is not just poetical. It doesn't exclude women. It applies to men and women. In the days in which these words were written, it were sons who were heirs, those who stood to inherit everything that the Father would pass on to them. And it includes here men and women who come to Jesus in faith. If you are, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. There is no higher status that could be yours. To be adopted into a family is to become an heir. It means you have the same status as any other child in that family. And in this case, it's to share in all of the privileges that Jesus has. And so I simply want to point you to him. If you're a Christian here today, this is what we need to be reminded of, I think, every day of our life on earth. That your right standing with God is because of what Jesus has done. That was the case on the day that you first trusted him. It's the case today it will be the case tomorrow, and it will be the case for all eternity. Your right standing with God is only because of what Jesus has done. It is never about what you can do. I know how we need to be reminded of that, don't we? Because we weary ourselves, we discourage ourselves, and think, how on earth could God be pleased with someone like me? I can't even I've managed to fail at. 
I keep making the same mistake. And then we come to a passage like this and it reminds us to think like that is to go back to slavery. No, the Bible tells us your right standing with God is only because of what Jesus has done for you. It's in Him, the wonderful Son of God, who knowing all of your failures and shortcomings, lives the perfect life on your behalf so that God no longer sees your failings, but He sees you in Jesus and says, He's one of mine. She's one of mine. And this great hope of an inheritance to come, sharing in the glory that Jesus has. It is amazing. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian or not sure. All I can do is point you to the same Jesus. He is the only way to God. He is the only way to be sure of sins forgiven. He is the only way to be cleansed of the guilt. He's the only way to have this burden off your shoulders that you're just never quite good enough for God. He's the only way. And to come to Him is a simple way of believing that He is a Savior for you and responding to Him in living a life of worship. Because we see how much we've been loved we love Jesus. Well, I wonder if we could close by saying the words of the grace to one another, um, just as we head towards the end of this year. Um, these are good words for us to pray for each other. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. Thank you for being with us today, and let me wish you a blessed new year when it comes. Thank you.